This is JT, try and keep up, and I finally get to sit down with Michael, how do you pronounce your last name? Balch. Balch. Yep. Okay. Now we are, now I've, uh, we met in 2019, courtesy of Jack Capella. Let's yes. give him a big shout out, because yep. I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't for Jack, so thank you, Jack. Michael is a great guy, even though, after all these years, there are times I still have problems saying your last name. Everybody does. I, I've been going through it all my life. Everybody pronounces it Balch, you know, which I don't correct anybody. It's just, you know, but it's pronounced Balch. Okay. Yes, all right, now, um, when we got together at 19, you were still, it was real early in the program. And uh, obviously building a program takes time, so we couldn't do a whole lot in 19. And then 20, of course, we all know what happened in 20. Yes. So, so uh, but we managed to get some stuff done this year. And, uh... Right outside, where y'all can't obviously see because you're all listening, we have a Nitro Funny Bike sitting out here. We're in South Carolina, Motorplex, AHDRA. Um, what got you on that beast? Well, I was blessed enough to be hooked up from Jack with okay. my new boss, Greg Gall. I work for GMS Racing Engines. Okay. And the one day I was just, you know, kind of having a panic attack about not being on a bike <laughs> in like three months. And I went to my boss and I said, uh, you know, I'm sick of not being on a bike. That's it. I'm calling somebody and I'm going to spend all my money leasing a bike. And he said, just go back to work and come. And about 15 minutes later, he came back and handed me the phone. And John Red Ray was on the other line. And he had a couple other people running his bike. Very, very good people. Like Mitch Brown was, was running that bike. But Mitch had some stuff that was going on, and he just wanted me to run the bike one time just to check to see if he had his clutch figured out. And Red and I got along quick. So uh, instead of putting me on the top fuel bike, because I didn't have a whole lot of experience, and that top fuel bike is a very, very fast machine. He said, I have a Nitro Funny Bike here, and I'd like you to get used to 200 miles an hour and mid-six second runs before I would put you on the top fuel bike, you know. You gotta crawl before you walk, you know. So, it worked out great for me. I'm blessed to even know Red. Now, it's interesting where uh, people, a lot of people, we see it all the time online, you say, oh, I can ride that thing. Obviously, there's a lot more to this than just getting on it and riding it. Just because you run your street bike doesn't mean you can get on one of these things. And yeah. you see those stupid comments all the time. Um, I'm gonna bring up a specific point that you made last night. You went down the track last night, and uh, this is, Part of the kind of the stuff you deal with. This is a massive machine you're on, but you lost track of where you were on the track, right? Yeah, because was, of conditions. I was. Uh, this is my first. Last night was my first run in the dark. Yeah. Okay. And on a nitro bike, you don't look at the track. You pick a point, maybe a hundred feet in the air, straight down the center line of the racetrack, and you drive to that point. Yeah. Okay. So my point was in the dark. You know, I was staring into the darkness and. Being my first time ever running a bike at night, I lost track of where I was on the track. So, looked at the data and at 3.16 seconds into the run, I got out of the throttle because, you know, I don't want to get hurt, I don't want to damage red stuff, I don't want to have a highlight reel where I'm one of the guys looking bad, you know. So, I just got out of the throttle and told Red the truth. When, we, when he got to the top of the track, he said, what's wrong with the bike? And I said, there is nothing wrong with that machine. Nothing wrong with that machine at all. It's a perfect tune. It was on one heck of a run, but I just lost track of where I was, you know. And at that point, you just get out of it, yeah. you know. And that's and that's the. There is a point. I mean, obviously, y'all are risking 
the racers at your level, you're risking a lot being on machines like this. But that's the smarts where you gotta say, okay, let's let's back off and we'll save the we'll we'll battle the next time. Yeah, when I first met Red, he asked me what my job as a rider was. And I said, my job as a rider is to stay in the throttle and steer it down the track. And he said, wrong. Your job as a rider is to bring me back a complete motorcycle <laughs> that we can make adjustments on and make another run to. That's a great description. Yeah, so that being in my head, when I lost track of where I was on the track, I was pretty much in the center of the track. I could have stayed in it, yeah. you know, but when you're not in front of the bike, okay, on a nitro bike, you have to be in front of the action. When the bike makes a move, you have to feel that move as it's making it. You have to be in front of the action. When you're behind the bike, that runs over. Uh, you have to be smarter. Now, obviously, um, you mentioned Red. For those of you that don't know who he is, give us a little background on Red, because he's obviously a key component to your team this weekend. He is a huge key to, to my team. Uh, John Red Ray has been involved in the nitro Harley world for, I'm guessing, around 35 years. Every track I go to, every older racer that I look up to always tells me good things about Red and uh, how they raced him at this racetrack and this racetrack and he's been doing it forever. And he's he's had some good riders on his machines and he's been, he's surrounded himself with great people in this sport. He's, he's very committed. Very committed. But you've also got Bob Spina oh, out here with you. Yeah, Talk about powerhouse behind you. Me being a fan of this sport before I'm even a rider, uh, it's absolutely it's, it's absolutely awesome having Bob Spina here. He's a legend in the sport. Now, uh, Red just he come in. I had to get out of his way so he can work here because we're in his trailer. So thank you, Red. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> yep, we're here to race. What was the first thing you raced on, Red? What was the first thing you went down the track on? Uh, when was that? Ooh, we're going to test some memory here. A 1974 Superglass with a 271 GMC blower on it. <laughs> <laughs> Running on gasoline. I rode it on the street. I put like 80,000 miles on that bike. Wow. Uh, I got it. It was a little Magnuson blower. Yeah. And uh, I made all the stuff to adapt it onto my bike. How's Michael uh, doing? Michael's doing pretty good. We uh, have been kind of getting him acclimated to the speed and the, and the rate of acceleration. And so I pulled this back just a little bit. But I decided before I left Nashville that we're going to put the tune-up back in it where he used to run four, uh, 750s, I mean 650s, 640s on, in high gear. And, uh, just told me you're gonna have to hang on, get on the bull, and get it by the horns. Mike's got a big old grin on his face, by the way. Yeah. It uh, it definitely left the start line last night. <laughs> the 112, 60 foot out of a high gear bike, and a 292, 330 foot. That was a 430. Worst case, 440 pass last night. What was your first conversation you ever had with Red? When you when you very first meet him? Uh, I talked to Red on the phone when my boss Greg Dahl called him and asked him to, uh, you know, called in a favor and asked him to put me on one of his bikes. And, you know, I talked my way into it. <laughs> you know. He just didn't have no idea what he was getting into. <laughs>
What was the commencing moment for you, sir, to, to let Michael get on the bike? That my friend Greg Dolph thought enough of him to ask me. Yep. And, uh, and I just told Greg, I said, I'll do it, and uh, you'll owe me one. <laughs> it's good to know good people in this sport. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, when, are, when are we running today? Was it still 10? They, they say around 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. Yeah, 10 o'clock, they're going to serve a sportsman, and Billy said at about 11.30 we'll run. Okay. And then now, okay. All right. Where are y'all heading from here? Right. It'll be in Bowling Green next weekend. Okay. So that'll be in Bowling Green for y'all close by. Make sure you get over there. Red, red will be in Bowling Green with Mark Connor on the red bike. Yeah, with the top fuel bike. Yeah, I will be in the lot at a, at a bagger race with a seam. I'll be crew chief for a seam. Okay. Very cool. Now, obviously, uh, how many how many riders have, Okay, here's another test memory. Red. How many riders have you had under your tutelage? I guess would be one way of putting it. Um... Bob Toddy, uh, Doc Savage, uh, myself, well in the beginning, myself, and I finally figured out that I was better at tuning than I was at riding. And plus I like to eat being from the south and beans and taters, <laughs> you know, just can't pass them up. So I started to put on a little weight and I said, you know, I would be better off to put somebody on the bike and watch it and tune it and make it go, you know, and uh, it worked out pretty good. And then there's uh, Chris Smith, um, he was riding a little 1150 gas bike when I met him, and uh, took him straight from that to, to running in the fours in the eighth mile and running in the sixes in the quarter mile. And you being, being from your side of the fence, so to speak, and racing, when you saw Michael go down the very first time on the bike. Yeah. Was it when you're looking at it from your side I say, okay, I like this, but he needs to work on this. Did you did, how much of that did you get watching Michael? I mean obviously each rider well, has a different learning curve so he the first thing that, that I realized about him is that he was serious. Okay. Because he was putting out a lot of effort to get it done. The second thing was that that he was very attentive to what you tell him and you could tell it was sinking in and then when we actually did get to the racetrack um, he showed no fear um, but he showed good common sense if it ain't straight shut it off if it ain't right turn it off if it don't sound right turn it off but I told him one of the truth attributes of a good rider is that they have a total recognition of what's under them, listening to the sounds and this, that, and the other, then their vision on the racetrack allows them to drive the bike and to handle it. But it, in the same respect, his ear has got to know that he's not killing By holding the throttle on too long, it don't sound right, you stay in it, and it blows the rods out of the cases, things of that nature. So a good rider brings you back a whole motorcycle so you can tweak it back in, Fix whatever was wrong with it and make another lap without having to do a rebuild. And Michael has done a good job of that. And Mike, Mike you, you brought that up too. So the fact that, hey, it's it's not right, let's back out. And, uh, let's, let's, um, here's a test of Michael. So from Red, what's one of the biggest things you've learned 
just working with specifically with him. What have you taken away from him so far? That's um, be tough, I've learned a lot from him every time we've gone. Every time I leave the track with Red, I learn something else. Like the first time, I, the first thing I learned from him is I didn't know half as much as I thought I did when I first got to the track with him. Like I thought I was just gonna go get down the track and go right down the track. And uh, there's a learning curve when you're on a bike that's going the speeds that his bikes go. And it's about control and uh, having the bike pointed straight. When I knowing, was, knowing how to line it up. Yeah, when I first got with Red, I had never lined myself up. When I was running with Tony, he would always move the wheelie bars to make sure I was straight at the line. Okay. So, instead of teaching him how to go straight, he was just making him go straight by adjusting it for him. Because a lot like in, in your traditional sportsman, your other racers, especially in the import side, because I do a yeah. lot of it there, you've got the spotter up there, you got the person lining back there, you don't have that here. Well, see, if, if you learn how to line yourself up, you don't need all of those members. Yeah. You know, and so my deal, it came when I was riding, had to learn how to line it up. And people like Bobby Spina, Jim McClure, Elmer, and all of them, they, you know, you get tips from them just like I'm giving the same tips to Michael. Uh, it's just paying it forward. You know, I didn't invent it, I just learned it. And obviously, Michael, you're learning it now too. Yeah, I go down the tra I go down the racetrack relatively straight as an arrow now because, like, one thing I don't do is I don't ask questions that I feel are unnecessary at the moment. Okay. Like when I was working with Larry, I learned this. Uh, when when I have a question, I will store it in my mental database. Okay. And then after we're done in the heat of battle, racing and working on the bike, at the end of the night, I will just ask all of the questions that I have. You know, and they're realistic questions. They're not dumb questions that someone's going to get upset with you asking. I have real questions, and I really have to know that because I plan on spending a lot of my life in this sport. So that's what I'll do with Red as well. Uh, at the end of the night, I'll ask him the questions, and he'll explain to me in depth the answers, and then I'll remember that. And then on my way home, either on the plane or on my drive home in my car, I'll be driving, but I'll be thinking and just reciting all the words he said, and then... I'll theory it out in my mind so I know the next time I come to the track, I don't have to ask that question. Okay. You know. Yeah, and uh, remind everybody, when um, we're talking about Larry McBride. Yes. So now, in 19, uh, this is me speaking for Mike. Um, he was with Larry. Now, I've, I speak for Larry quite a bit. I know you talked to him quite a bit. Um, but you, uh, Michael worked with Larry through that year because he was taking that information and applying it to your own program. And um, Larry had great things to say about you, dude. So I, me and him had numerous conversations. We were very focused. He asked questions because they were good questions, intelligent questions. So if you get into the sport, you have to, I mean, and you have those mentors available to you, you have to treat them with respect, and you have to pay attention to what you're doing. Michael's clearly doing that. So it is Larry McBride we're talking about. Yeah, and being a fan of the sport, you know who Larry McBride is. <laughs> I went to Man Cup. The first time I was ever on a Nitro bike was October 12, 2018. And then Man Cup 2019, in the beginning of the year, uh, actually the last race of Man Cup in the 2018 season, I drove there and I met Larry. So then me and Larry were, were messaging each other on Facebook and stuff. And then uh, a couple weeks before the race in, in uh, Man Cup, and what blew me away was Larry knew who I was. 
Because the Nitro guys know when someone's going through their licensing procedure and they know people that are getting in the sport. So when I went up to Larry and introduced myself, he said, I know you are. You're, you're the guy running that bike with Tony and you're going through your licensing process. And then uh, he invited me into his pit for the warm-up procedure. And then over the winter, we had talked a couple times on Facebook Messenger and then texting. And uh, he said, hey, if you're not going to be on a bike for the first race of Man Cup and you want to come learn some stuff, you know, stop by and give us a hand. So I did, and I didn't upset Steve very much. His <laughs> brother, I didn't upset Steve very much. I got along with Roland and Chucky and Charlie, and at the end of the night, uh, right before we did our interview, we did a, a, a talk that night. Right before that, Larry had asked me if I wanted to help him out for the rest of the season. That was an interesting conversation, because I still remember one particular bit from that interview where Larry talks about your very first top fuel race. Was NHRA. Yeah, I got. He my said that, and I like his quote. He goes, "That may not have been the brightest thing to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got my license in January, like January twentieth or something like that. And then Pomona was like three weeks later, and I had never been in a nitro race with someone in the other lane because it was all licensing passes. Yeah. So when I went, when I got my license, Tony said to me, "Hey, if you want to run Pomona, I'll put you on the bike." And I was like, "Let's do it." Let's do it. I can do it. So, three weeks later, the first race I was ever in with someone in the other lane was NHRA Pomona. I, I destroy his name all the time. Yuchimin, um, uh, you know, the, the Joker, yeah. he was the first person I ever lined up against. And I walked up to him and I shook his hand and I said, it's a pleasure meeting you. I'm going to be racing against you. And uh, I'm humbled to be here. You know, something along those lines. You remember how you did on that pass? That pass, I was straight as an arrow down the center of the track, but the bike never shifted into high gear, and uh, it just fell on its face. Oh, it didn't. It didn't shift. So when the fuel comes in and it doesn't shift, it just falls on its face. Okay. Yeah. But talk about when you jump in. So Michael definitely does that. You jump in with both feet large, and you just go directly over. To oh head. yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> go, go I go right in. I, don't, I go right in. There's no reason to wade. I jump right in. But obviously, I mean, uh, Michael takes takes risks. He's on powerful machines, but he is smart about it. So uh, that's one of the reasons I enjoy working with him. Um, he's got um, a lot of racing to do today, and there's a lot more racing to come in your future. That's for sure. Because you're clearly not going anywhere. No. But you have a ton of people supporting you, like Blackfly. And oh yeah, uh, Blackfly's eyewear supports me. Pocono Mountain Harley Davidson supports me. John Herman Insurance. Uh, Jose Pereira from Shop Caliber. I have so much support. Radical Wine supports me. I have so much support from the small town I come from. Uh, Palmerton, Pennsylvania is where I'm from. No matter where I'm living, when I go to a racetrack, I sign in Palmerton, Pennsylvania. Because I don't want to be recognized from anywhere else in the world. Where my mailing address is does not matter to me. I'm from Palmerton. Yeah. You know? There you go. Yeah. I have a lot of support. A lot of support. The Jim Crispin team. Um, I just I have a ton of support. My my boss Greg Gall from GMS Racing Engines. You know he he lets me take off work to go racing and pays me while I'm gone. You know the Backyard Tavern is a bar that just opened up in uh, Steeds Ferry, North Carolina. They support me. I just I have so much support. I'm blessed to even have the support that I do. If I'd be asking to be any better off in life, I'd be getting greedy. Alright, well he's got uh he's got a lot to do today, but this is not the last conversation we'll have. We'll definitely have more with Michael as his uh as he progresses. But I will point out 
that points-wise, at the moment, you're sitting pretty good. I'm currently in my rookie year, and I am the current national points leader. And what about your qualifier spot this weekend? Number one qualifier. There you go. That's yep. the man. Yep. Cool. Well, right. Let's get this bike service and get ready for a run. All righty. Uh, thank you for your time, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right.